This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, the background, you remember the background for this night? well, you remember part of it at least, is that we have seen from the, the last words of Jacob, remember we talked about this, the last words that Jacob heard from his mother in Genesis 27, 42, Genesis 20, 42 were, Rebekah said to Jacob, behold, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise, flee thou, to Laban, my brother, to Haran. And then Jacob, we saw last time, he ran for his life. And he started out from Genesis 27 and 28. He's running, he's fleeing for his life. He's a fugitive. Because Jacob had conspired with his mother to lie to his father, to rob his brother of the blessing. So he's on the run. He was on the run. We saw that at the gate of heaven. And then Jacob did run out as fast as he could and as far as he could until we saw that that night, that darkness overcame him. And he arrived at that place, Bethel, and he was exhausted. He was scared. He was alone. He was frightened. And it was a rocky place. In a pathetic state, he made for his pillow rocks. And then he fell asleep. In Genesis 28.11, Genesis 28.11, he fell asleep. says he lighted upon a certain place, tarried there all night because the sun was set. He took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in, in that place to sleep. And then in his sleep, Jacob saw that ladder that went from him and reached all the way up to heaven. And there were angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And Jehovah Jesus was at the top of that ladder. And Jacob woke up and he said, I'm at God's house, and I'm at the gate of heaven, and I didn't know it. And then Jacob made a vow to God. And the vow was in Genesis 28.20. Genesis 28.20, where it says, Jacob vowed a vow, saying, if God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, 
so that I come again into my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house, and of all the Thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. That was a wonderful night for Jacob. That was when Jacob met God and said that if God was going to give him food and clothing and and protection, that he would make the Lord his God and give God one-tenth of everything that he got. And maybe when God heard that, maybe he said, maybe he said, deal, Jacob, I accept. You know, maybe God turned to the angels and said to the angels, did you hear that, angels? Jacob and I just made a deal. Yeah? Jacob has promised to make me his God. Such a deal. I don't think God got the best end of that deal. But anyway, it's a, and, and, and if, I, if, I just, if I make sure to feed Jacob and, and clothe him, protect him, that was Jacob's conversion night, or one of his conversion nights. I don't know. I'm not saying he lost his salvation, but I don't know. It's one conversion night. When Jacob met God, Jacob met God. That was 25 years ago. That was 25 years ago from the point we're at right now in Genesis 32. 25 long years since Jacob met God at Bethel. 25 years since Jacob saw heaven and earth bridged by a ladder with angels going up and down. 25 years since Jacob made those promises to God that God would be his God and that he would give a tenth to God and if God took care of him. 25 years now, God has lived up to his end of the deal. 25 years, God has provided food and he has provided clothing and he has protected him. 25 years since God provided quite a family to Jacob with his 12 sons and huge a flock of goats and camels and so forth, so much so they're divided into two groups here. 25 years, and Jacob has not moved an inch toward God. And during those 25 years, Jacob has been very busy. Oh, he's been busy. He's been planning. He's been scheming. He's been amassing great riches for himself. He's a very rich man, Jacob. But in the busyness of Jacob's life, Jacob has pushed God right out of his life. And if anyone would have asked Jacob at that time, if the Lord was, was his God, Jacob would have said, well, sure, there was that night at Bethel when I met God. And Jacob's like a professing Christian, who if somebody says, are you a believer? And he would reply, reply well, sure, there was that day when I received Jesus as my Savior. But Jacob was living as a practical atheist. He was living a life just like God didn't exist, just like many professing Christians who live their lives as though, as though God doesn't exist. But God has kept his end of the deal. And during these last 25 years, Jacob has seen how God has faithfully provided for Jacob the food, the clothing, the protection. But Jacob has not made the Lord his God, and Jacob has not given to God a tenth of everything that he has, just like many professing Christians who really have not made the Lord Jesus Christ, their God, and not giving to the Lord Jesus the tenth of all that they have. So this was Jacob, a man who forgot about God, crooked. And now we're going to see what God's about to do with Jacob. Two words, two words tell us what God does to this man. And we can see this here in, in Genesis 32, 24. Genesis 32, 24. Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. 
Those are the two words. Left alone. Left alone. This is what God does to the man that is crooked. Left alone. What God does here, what God is doing here with Jacob, he has cornered Jacob. He's put him in a corner. God has patiently waited for 25 years for Jacob to voluntarily move toward God. But Jacob has not done that. And when it became obvious that after 25 years, Jacob was not going to move voluntarily toward God, then God uses the circumstances of one night to isolate him and to make him alone. And Jacob was left alone on that night. And if there's a one warning that comes through from Genesis 32, the warning is, don't make God put us in a corner. That's the warning. Do not make God put us in a corner. God waited 25 years before he put Jacob into this corner alone. But after that, it was clear that Jacob wasn't going to turn to God. Then finally, God had to corner Jacob. And when Jacob was in the middle of building his empire with Laban at Uncle Laban's house, when Jacob was in the middle of all the noise and the arguments with Uncle Laban, when all his scheming to get a family and to get the sheep and the cattle and the camels and the servants back in Syria at Uncle Laban's house, God couldn't do very much with Jacob there. But Jacob has now fled from Uncle Laban, who wanted to kill him also, and he's taken his daughters. To, he's got four wives now, and anyway, and he's got goats and idols. And Jacob got away, and it wasn't easy. But he got away finally from Uncle Laban with his daughters and with his cattle and with his servants. And now Jacob is thinking to himself, I'm going to make a big show. Just wait till I come rolling down that street to home. Oh, boy, with all these wives and sons and sheep and cattle and camels and servants, boy, am I going to make a big splash when I get home. And he's really looking forward to how he's going to impress everybody back home, and that's where he's going. But then Jacob starts to remember some things from 25 years ago, and he remembers how he cheated his brother Esau, and he remembers how he pretended to be Esau so that he could trick his father to give him Esau's blessing. And he now remembers that, oh, I did steal that birthright that should have gone to Esau, and I did cheat Esau, the birthright. And he remembers, oh, dad remembers, you know, I remember now Esau wanted to kill me. And he had selectively forgotten all about all that. But now it's coming back to him. He's getting closer to home with such a clarity. And he begins to worry. He begins to worry. And Jacob worries, what if Esau really still wants to kill me? So Jacob decides, he says, he's got a brainstorm. I know, I'll send messengers with a very lavish present to appease Esau. And so he sends them, and he waits and waits and waits, and the messengers come back breathless, out of breath, saying to Jacob, Esau's on his way to meet you with 400 men. <laughs> 400 men, and it's not going to be a welcome home party. You know? <laughs> and when he, Jacob hears this 400 men, it says in verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. It could only mean one thing. 400 men could only mean big slaughter, big slaughter. And Esau had not forgotten his vow 25 years ago to murder Jacob. And Jacob is thinking, if Esau's coming with 400 men, he's going to kill me and my family. And the blood 
in Jacob's veins just runs cold, that he's is afraid. And Jacob now is trapped. He's trapped. Why? Laban is behind him. Esau is in front of him. Both of them want to kill him. And Jacob has no place to turn. He's cornered. God has cornered his man. And the Jacob who probably had not prayed for years or had just prayed heartless prayers, now Jacob drops to his knees and prays like he's never prayed before. I mean, just look at his prayer in verse 9. Genesis 32, 9, verse 9. Jacob said, here's his prayer. Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my Isaac, God of my father Isaac. Stop. Now, after 25 years, the God of his grandfather Abraham and the God of Isaac has suddenly become very important to him. He goes on. The Lord which said unto me, stop. Now, after 25 years, God's word has become suddenly very important to him. And he says, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. Stop. Now, after 25 years, God's promises have suddenly become very important to him. And now in verse 10, verse 10. I'm not worthy of the least of all the miracles and of all the truth which thou hast showed me. Stop. Now, after 25 years, Jacob is suddenly very humble. For with my staff, I passed over this Jordan, and now I'm become two bands. Now look at verse 11. Deliver me. Stop. Now, his prayer has suddenly become very short. It's just two words. Deliver me. You know, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing that when we get in trouble, when we're in a lot of trouble, you know, let me put it this way. When we're not in trouble and we're not, you know, under the gun, our prayers get very long and eloquent. <laughs> but, you know, but when we get in trouble, Really in big trouble, our prayers get very short and direct. Prayers like, deliver me. That's it. <laughs> and he says, I pray thee. It reminds me of the prayer one time in downtown Boston. He was a famous square down there in the church. And this pastor prayed this prayer. And the next day they wrote in the Boston Globe, that was the most eloquent prayer ever prayed to a congregation. <laughs> he said, anyway. He says, I pray thee from the hand of my brother Esau and from the hand of Esau, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, honesty, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. That was like Jacob was saying, God, just in case you don't know, there's a lot of trouble down here with me. And then in verse 12, and thou saidest, I will surely do thee good. And he's thinking to himself, ain't good if we all get killed down here. And he says, and make thy seed in the seed of thy sand, which they cannot be numbered for multitude. And here he's saying, Lord, can I remind you that my seed can't multiply if I die right now? <laughs> he can't go back to Laban. He just promised Laban he would never return. He can't go forward as he'd be walking right into the mouth of the lion. So Jacob is just trapped. Jacob is trapped. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like in life that you're just in a corner? You ever felt like you just can't move? You ever felt like there's just no solution to a, a hopeless dilemma? I'm just trapped and I'm helpless, like a diagnosis of cancer? When it says in verse 27, and Jacob was left alone, Jacob was in that kind of corner, and God had cornered his man. And if a person 
has had a Bethel experience, as Jacob did, and is saved, he can never run away from God. He can't run away from God. A saved person can leave a church some Sunday mad and say to the, say either directly or in his heart I, to the preacher, I don't have to ever see you again. But God will bring that backslider into a corner. That's what he does. God corners his man. And the trouble is that when this happens, half of his life may have been wasted. The trouble here, this is that all those years have been wasted and all that's left is the remnants of a wasted life to give to God. Well, God cornered his man in verse 24 and Jacob was left alone. Now, God having now cornered his man, we read what he did in verse 24. Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. A man appears, a mysterious man. A man appears with Jacob and the man wrestles with Jacob. And our first question is, in fact, this was Jacob's question too, is that who is this man? What's his name? Who is this man who is wrestling with Jacob? And he, Jacob asked the question and the man said, I'm not telling you my name. But Jacob knew who it was because he said in verse 30, verse 30, Jacob said, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. He saw God, he saw the saving God, he saw the life-giving God. And this man is God who's wrestling with Jacob. This shows the love of God. This is tremendous love. This shows the humility of God. This shows the condescension of God. God did not have to come down and wrestle all night with Jacob. And notice carefully in verse 24 that it doesn't say that Jacob wrestled with a man. But what it says is, a man wrestled with Jacob, and that's important. Why? This is not a history of Jacob wrestling with God. This is a history of God wrestling with Jacob. It was God who came down and wrestled with him. Don't miss those words in verse 24 also that say, until the breaking of the day. That tells us, This was a long, long night. Maybe it was eight hours of wrestling. This was an intense struggle. I mean, think of the grace of it all. I mean, here's the all-powerful creator, the ruler of the universe. All God has to do is breathe on Jacob and or look at him with eyes of fire, and Jacob would have been cremated alive and turned to ashes. But God didn't do that. He condescended to wrestle with a puny little scheming deceiver for eight solid hours through this whole night. Why did God do that? Why did God spend so much time wrestling with Jacob? Because during those eight hours of wrestling, and you can imagine all the grunting, all the dust, all the being thrown to the ground, all the air having been knocked out of Jacob, all the realization of who Jacob was came back to him. And during those eight hours of wrestling, Jacob wrestled and they changed their hand positions on each other. And Jacob cried and and he could see himself so clearly. He could see himself as the stubborn, sinful, arrogant, deceiving, selfish liar. And think of it. Through the whole night, think of that every moment that they grunted for those eight hours, every moment they pushed each other, every moment they changed their grip, every moment they threw each other to the ground, every moment they came back to each other for more challenging. And as they did, the knowledge 
of Jacob's sinfulness and his stubbornness comes back to him. It took all night. It took all night for Jacob to be willing to be broken. And seeing this, when we see this, this should make us run away from stubbornness. It should make us run away from pride and arrogance and selfishness and lying, deceitfulness, because God will smash the Jacob in us so that the Israel of God can come out of us like it did here with Jacob. And what we see here is we can be sure if a person's saved and he belongs to him and there is stubbornness and arrogance and pride and selfishness, God's not gonna rest till he has broken it. God will continue to wrestle on and on and on. God has time and he won't stop wrestling as long as he sees that stubbornness and selfishness and pride and he'll continue to wrestle until there's a willingness to be broken. And when we see in this passage is that if a person is saved, then God is not gonna rest until he has broken that person. Now, after this whole night of wrestling, we see what God does next in verse 25, when it says, when he saw that he prevailed not against him. Think of that. Jacob just fought and fought and fought. He touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. You know, there's no reason to think that this whole wrestling night was silent and nobody spoke. There's no reason to think that. Probably there were questions going on asked through the night. Maybe God was asking Jacob, where does your strength lie? Where's your strength? What's the basis for that arrogant confidence in you? How is it that I can't prevail against you? Where can I touch you and bring you to your knees? I mean, wouldn't it be great? We sung, I surrender. Wouldn't it be great if now, if each one of us saw ourselves as Jacob and we said to the Lord, Lord, here it is. You don't have to wrestle with me. Here it is. Here's the area of my life I'm holding back. Here's my confidence in the flesh. This is the place where I won't surrender to you. This is the last bridge back to the world that I won't burn. Then God said, well, I must smash it. I must smash it. I must crush it. I must crush this resistance if you're going to go on to be blessed. Jacob was a strong man. He was a strong man. I mean, we remember that when he arrived in Haran, first thing he did is he kissed Rachel and cried. Very strange. But then he goes to this, this rock that was on this well that took men, several men, to move. And barehanded by himself, he moves the rock so he can water Rachel's flock. He's a strong man. Now, he's been working with livestock for 25 years. He's strong. He's a strong man. He talked to Laban about that. He said, all night long, I was with the cattle, and I took care of them all. Particularly, his legs were strong. Particularly, his thigh was muscular. You could picture Jacob during that wrestling night there with his big legs set on the ground, taking advantage, and the muscles rippling up the strength of his leg. That leg represented stubborn, proud, arrogant confidence of Jacob. And so we see God looking at that leg, that muscular leg, and saying, I see. Oh, I see. It's your leg. That's the source of your stubborn rebellion against me. So right there, God puts his finger into the thigh joint, and instantly Jacob's leg is out of joint, with a te- such a terrible pain that his leg just gave out from under him, and suddenly 
Jacob can no longer fight. He can no longer fight. His leg is dangling from the socket. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.